Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. We just came outside because we're doing a little recording and it was quieter. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, podcast time. Oh, cool. All right, well, enjoy. <laughs> but thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man. anything, just holler. Okay, thank Will you. Will do. This is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. This is the 14th episode of the podcast, and today it's a really special one. I have actually just come back from a trip to Nashville, and before I left... I bought myself a little Zoom portable recorder, kind of in the hope that I would find someone there to interview, and happily on the day, just the day before I flew back, I caught up with a Nashville musician called Rachel Bayman. She plays fiddle and also banjo in a two-piece called Ten String Symphony. We had a chat on a very lazy Sunday afternoon, we actually had a chat at a place called Jack Brown's Beer and Burger Joint. So shout out to them and their attentive staff. Here is our chat. Rachel, you play in a two-piece called Ten String Symphony. Can you tell us first a little bit about the instrumentation in that project? Yeah, so Ten String Symphony is named because we use two five-string fiddles or five-string fiddle and five-string banjo. And um, we kind of decided to, you know, name it after the instrumentation because it's a little bit unique. So your bandmate Christian plays fiddle all the time and you're playing uh, fiddle and banjo as well, kind of swapping between them. The thing that I found really interesting was the percussion because you have this particular instrumentation, you're playing percussion on the fiddle but also on the banjo. I noticed that you're using some kind of techniques where you're kind of like cutting the strings. Is this something that other people typically do, playing percussion on these kind of instruments? So... In the kind of fiddle community, it's called chopping, and that's sort of like percussive style of rhythmic, um, usually rhythmic backup for other um, melodies that are being played. So it's somewhat common, but it's not as common in the way that we do it. Um, It's something that's developed relatively recently. Maybe in the last 20 years, people have been doing this with the fiddle. It's kind of a new technique. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of fiddle players who do it, and a lot of fiddle players that do it really well. Um, some of the kind of pioneers of that style were um, Daryl Anger, Casey Dreesen, Richard Green. Um, some of these fiddle players that were doing this many years ago, but not so far back. You know, it's still a relatively new thing. I think in Ten String Symphony we tend to do it um, maybe to a more in a more extensive way and we tend to do it as more of a foundation of the song whereas usually it's used as kind of a addition to um, an arrangement so maybe there's guitar already and bass and all this kind of stuff and um, 
10 string symphony since we don't have like drums bass anything like that we we kind of use our fiddles as rhythm instruments and we use that technique a lot more in in maybe slightly different ways I think it's really cool and yeah in terms of different ways I found that sometimes when one of you was playing percussion I knew when to nod my head but sometimes when you were both playing percussively I kind of felt like there was almost a poly rhythm going on and it wasn't clear where I was supposed to nod my head. I was also talking to a friend who said that in bluegrass it's kind of, in terms of the standard timing, it's often sort of rushing the beat. So is it intentional that you have these polyrhythms with these instru- like uh, interesting instruments running throughout the songs? Yeah, I mean the polyrhythms are definitely intentional. I would say that we occasionally rush, but not on purpose. <laughs> I think in bluegrass... Um, when someone says that it's common to rush the beat, I think they're talking about when you're playing a solo or when you're kind of pushing the melody, but you always have that bass and mandolin that's and guitar that's keeping you relatively in time. You are playing at the front, at the front edge of the beat, so it's it's uh, not necessarily laid back in the way it feels. But um, sometimes the soloing can rush can rush the beat a little bit. But since we are kind of in the unique position of being the soloist and the backup band at the same time, we do play on the front of the beat. We try not to rush. Sometimes we rush. But um, we try to create rhythms outside of that standard kind of bluegrass feel. The bluegrass feel is pretty straight. Like, you're going to be playing on the backbeat, mandolin, boom, chuck, boom, chuck, boom, chuck. That's the that's the rhythm, and it would be very easy to feel where you're nodding your head. Um, we definitely depart a lot from traditional bluegrass in 10-string symphony, and some of our songs kind of lean in that direction, and some lean more in kind of an indie rock or, you know, folk or whatever. Whatever uh, we're kind of doing, we have a set of jigs on our first album. It's kind of more of a Celtic feel. So that's also not occupying a backbeat at all. So it's really song by song. We kind of have our influences that we have just by nature of how we learned and who we learned from and who we're listening to at the time. And then we just try to create the arrangement based on what the song is asking for, basically. Cool. I think it's really interesting that you said you depart from the kind of standard bluegrass structures. Because I was going to ask about the, I guess, the mix of genres in Ten String Symphony. And I wanted to ask, I'm not as well versed in bluegrass genres, but is it drawing at all on, like, Appalachian music, which I guess is kind of more a traditional folk or ballad style? Could you comment on that? Yeah, sure. So, um, Appalachian music is kind of one of the precursors of bluegrass. So if you look through kind of the history of these American traditional styles, um, Appalachian music, which uh, we often call old-time music, is um, something that, you know, it came out of the Appalachian region, obviously, and um, it was kind of a combination of the Irish and Scottish immigrants that brought over fiddles and fiddle tunes and the Africans that were, you know, brought here as slaves that had banjos. And a lot of the rhythmic influence is very African. So when these cultures kind of blended together in these more isolated regions, you got old-time music, which is um, very, like, very American style. But 
you have a lot of tunes that are Irish tunes or Scottish tunes that are played as old-time tunes, but they sound very different. They're played in a very different way. And the open back banjo, which is what I'm playing in the um, Intensing Symphony, is was you know brought over by slaves by African people. That's a very it's a an African instrument. So that influence is is pretty heavy. And when that music kind of meant blues music and some country music, some more popular country music at the time, those styles came together to form bluegrass. And that was relatively recently. Um, and uh, it was kind of pioneered by this guy, Bill Monroe. So Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. And, and because it's such a young music in the scheme of things, and because it kind of was pioneered by this one band, it has a very, very specific layout for what is traditional bluegrass it's like okay it's a five-piece band there's a bass a guitar a mandolin a fiddle and a banjo and the banjo is different it has a resonator you play it with picks that's like earl scruggs created that style so um that's like a very specific thing and this whole genre is based on this one band basically and everybody kind of playing yeah this one way and obviously it's expanded and people you know use their instruments in different ways and all that but you still have this whole faction of bluegrass that people that, you know, are saying, that's not bluegrass because blah, 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 blah. So there would be a lot of people that would definitely be like, Tensor Symphony, that's not bluegrass. And it's not. I mean, it, it truly is not. I agree. But it's influenced by that a lot. So um, what was the question again? Sorry, I feel like I needed to explain. music was... Oh, so yes, Appalachian music is a huge influence. Yeah, so... Um, I play a lot of old-time music. Christian plays a lot of old-time music. And um, in terms of the banjo, there's there's not a lot of ways to play the clawhammer banjo that are not old-time, um, just because of the nature of the instrument. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we're definitely influenced by Appalachian music, among uh, many other things. Oh, cool. Well, thanks for taken me to school that's oh, why sorry, a long no that's why i came here to nashville tennessee <laughs> to learn about these different genres in your set which i saw the other day it was really cool you did throw in quite a lot of covers and one was by an, a very old-timey band, I think, called the Skillet Lickers. Yeah. Can you tell me about the Skillet Lickers? Sure. Um, I have a very close relationship with the Skillet Lickers because I had this project when I was in um, university uh, where I convinced the school to give me money to transcribe all of these tunes by the Skillet Lickers that were recorded in the 20s. And um, although there's been a lot of... Um, things written about the skillet lickers and such they haven't actually like their music hasn't really been transcribed which is because it's very difficult to transcribe <laughs> because it's um it's all kind of in a about a quarter tone outside of what we would consider a pitch because um, it's really old recordings I mean I don't know how much of that was where what tuning they were playing in and I don't know how much of it was the recording process because sometimes when you record something on those old cylinders like it speeds it up or or whatnot um but anyway skillet liggers were the they were actually the first um like country band to be signed to a major label they were signed to columbia records in the 20s or maybe like 
19 or early 20s. And um, so they're kind of one of the pioneering influences because they were one of the first people that, one of the first bands that many people heard around the world. Um, It was kind of this crazy time in history when country music was popular music and hillbilly music was country music and that's kind of what they were doing. They were a very performative band so they would put skits and stuff at the beginning of their um, songs and they were just a lot of fun. They had multiple fiddles a lot of times and they had a really specific kind of bowing style from Georgia. So um, yeah, they had some, you know, really racist songs. They had some they had some issues, so it's not all great, but mm. but um, a really interesting study in music of the time. I think, yeah, there's kind of this crazy history, too, in old-time music where um, white people were um, imitating, like, minstrel music and putting on blackface and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of around that time as well. Airplane. Yeah. That's some Tennessee airplane noise as we have a chat on this Sunday afternoon. Okay, well, back to Ten String Symphony. You have just released a new album called Generation Frustration. What I think we'll do is we might take a track from that now. We listen to one of the singles called Anxious Annie, and then we'll come back and have a bit more of a chat about the album. It's January in the streets of line with dirty old Christmas trees. New York City, when they're done with you, they'll throw you out with the breeze. Well, I don't want to worry, don't want to cry, and I don't want to be afraid to die. Sleeping in the middle of a big, tall building, people underneath and above. I close my eyes, I feel the ceiling coming down on me like a boxing glove. Don't want to worry Don't want to cry
So that track was Anxious Annie by Ten String Symphony. The album is called Generation Frustration. How long, this is your third uh, full LP, how long have you been working on this album? So we actually recorded this album a year ago, April, so like maybe almost a year, almost a year and a half now, a year and a few months is when we recorded it. But obviously we were writing the material prior to that. So probably a year and a half we've been, we've been working on this and we've been sitting on it for quite a while, um, getting everything together for the release. Um, we traveled to Scotland. We, we did the album right outside of Edinburgh, which with, um, a Scottish musician that we really wanted to work with named Chris Drever of the band Lau. So it was a big, a big undertaking. We had to do a lot of planning and, and everything, but it was, it was a lot of fun to get to do that. We've been talking about the music of Ten String Symphony quite a lot, but I'm also the album is very strong thematically, mm-hmm. and you spoke about some of the issues that are discussed when you were doing the live set as well. Do you think that this third album has a particular message that it's projecting? Yeah, um, this is definitely a more maybe political album than we've made in the past. It's interesting because uh, Christian and I both do work outside of the band. We do musical work outside of the band. So he plays in uh, the Jerry Douglas Band, which is a a gig with a really famous dobro player and um, a member of Alison Krauss and Union Station. That's how most people know of Jerry. But um, and. I've been doing a solo project as well, and so what happens is we spend time doing these other projects, and we come back together, and we've kind of each gotten some something new. You know, we've we've grown in a certain way in our time apart, and we bring it back to the the duo. And for me, um, I spent the past year touring on an album that I released that was very political. It was called Shame, and I kind of got really comfortable with political songwriting and kind of found my voice in that way and I think Christian was kind of antsy to say some things as well and given the climate of the country you know it's kind of just what's on everyone's mind right now so um I think I think it was just an organic um outcome of the things that we had experienced individually and collectively as well well we just heard the track Anxious Annie I think that one is about death can you, t- can you tell us, you told a bit of a story during the sh- gig that I saw on Thursday. Can you tell us a bit about what Anxious Annie is about? Yeah, well, it's kind of about anxiety. So, I mean, it, it mentions death a lot, but it's kind of just me trying to say in the most honest, straightforward way the feeling that you have when you're extremely anxious about things. Because what happens is you have... You, your mind fast forwards to like death very quickly, even if it's like a very minor situation. And um, anxiety, I think, is something that you know a lot of people struggle with, and it's just a really anxious time in the country. I think 
we feel, well, I can't speak for everyone, but I think a lot of people feel like a ship without a captain, if that makes sense, in this country. And, and there's just a lot of shifting, um, shifting parts all the time with people with, you know, every day there's a new drama in the news. And it's the kind of drama that would exist once in four years in any other kind of presidency. And it's actually, you know, it's happening all over the world as well, like in the UK. And so, you know, there's that kind of anxiety that comes from just the, you know, large scale things. And then there's the anxiety within anyone's personal life and their personal day to day. So um, for me, like, this song, you know, I wrote it when I was in New York and I was staying in a friend's apartment um, in the middle of winter and I was in this tiny room and like there was all these crazy sirens outside and it was freezing outside and it was boiling hot in the apartment and I was just like, what is going on? I feel crazy. So I just, it's just started, you know, coming out and I, I wrote those lines about, you know, I don't want to worry. I don't want to cry. I don't want to be afraid to die. I'm like, God, that's so dramatic. Like, what a ridiculous thing to say, but it's like, but actually that's how it feels, you know? So I was like, no, like just leave it. Cause everyone has felt that way, even knowing how dramatic and ridiculous it is, you know? So it's kind of, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's also like very honest. If that makes sense. Me and my friends, we all watch the news. Well, you're tapping into the zeitgeist and people's feelings is what musicians do best. I actually, we're in Nashville at the moment. It's a really beautiful sunny afternoon. I've been here for about a week and I've been going to the kind of downtown, uh, the, so I guess some of the touristy parts on Broadway, but I'm interested to know how long have you been in Nashville and also if you started off by kind of cutting your teeth in the kind of touristy venues so I've been in Nashville for um, 10 years now. I came here when I was 18. I went to school here. And um, so I spent a couple of years kind of studying and I didn't have a car. I didn't know any musicians. I was playing music um, in like around the university and kind of trying to meet friends that were into uh, fiddle music and not having much success. But um, I lived, so I lived over on the West side and at that time, there is a bar in East Nashville called the Five Spot, and and at that time and for many years they had a jam every Wednesday night, and that jam was really the kind of nucleus of the acoustic and indie musician community, um, and that's kind of when East Nashville was still really cheap, and all the musicians lived there, and it was starting to kind of flip and turn into this really cool place. And that's where I met Christian and um, at that jam, and we started playing fiddle tunes, and um, I had a bunch of other musician friends that I met there who all have now gone on to have really cool careers. My friend Shelby Means was um, one of my first friends in Nashville, and she ended up joining the band Della May and getting a Grammy nomination, and my friend Kelsey Walden is, has this really cool um, kind of outlaw country career now and she was one of my best friends too that I met at the five spot so that's kind of where I cut my teeth is in that little community going to that jam and once you showed up at the jam a few times you'd start getting invited to everyone's shows around town and you'd get invited to all the house parties and jams and stuff which there was many 
um, it was so that was around my junior senior year of college, and I my I got a car maybe my last year in school, and I was like going out every night to a jam or a party or something and sleeping like three hours and getting up for class at 8 a.m. and just really having the time of my life because I finally felt like I'd found my people and I was learning so much. I was playing all the time, playing with fiddle players that were way better than me every single night. But one thing I did do and one thing Christian and I did that kind of started the band is that we would go and busk down on Broadway kind of just for fun but we were we were playing so much we would get together and we'd be playing fiddle tunes and at some point we were just like why aren't we making money for this let's just go do this downtown and and at that time it it wasn't so crowded down there this was many years ago like six seven eight years ago maybe um and so we would go down to broadway and we would sit up and we would try to avoid getting too close to a homeless person because they would get really mad and uh we would play tunes and if we and at that time we were really both just fiddle players. I was hardly singing. We weren't writing songs, and um, but if I would sing an old time tune really loud, something with words, all of a sudden we'd get way more money, you know. So I got kind of encouraged to start singing and playing the fiddle at the same time, and started really enjoying it. And then as the band progressed, I got really into songwriting. So. I mean, I would say that's kind of where I cut my teeth. I haven't played at a lot of the touristy venues. The venues I've played at are like, you know, the Basement and Third and Lindsley and the Station Inn and um, the Five Spot when it, back in the heyday. We had the bar called the Foo Bar, which was like, I think it's closed now, but that was a good one. And, um, yeah, so. so. A little bit removed from the chaos of the tourists. Yeah, I mean, Christian used to play at Layla sometimes, which is a downtown honky-tonk, but those are kind of, it's it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You play a four-hour shift, um, and you make tips, and, like, it can be really good money if you're at a good time of day, but playing for four hours, I mean, it's pretty brutal. Like, no, it's never that fun in hour three or four, so it can kind of kill your chops because you're playing really lazy, if that makes sense, and it's really loud, so... It can be a really great thing to learn all of those country tunes, learn the, the licks and everything, but it's not something I ever did too much. I wouldn't mind doing it more, but yeah, it hasn't, just hasn't been my path. Well, I kind of came here to Nashville to see this style of music, but I also saw that you guys have been to Australia yes. quite a lot. You played in the Blue Mountains. I saw you got a write-up in Happy Magazine, yeah. which the office is like just pretty close to my house. Yeah. So... What is the affinity with playing this style of music in Australia? Um, well, I think, I mean, Australia is pretty pretty keen for bluegrass and old-time music. We always do pretty well over there. And um, we have a lot of connections. So I'm getting married to a guy who's lived 10 years in Melbourne. He's a Kiwi. But um, so I enjoy being over there, you know, for personal reasons. But uh but we toured there. I mean, I actually met him because I was on tour there. So we had we had already kind of started going over there. And um, I think it's a really cool community. I mean, there's some amazing music coming out of Australia. Some of my favorite musicians, um, Courtney Barnett and Opep and all of these. Uh, um, Dan Parsons. Do you know Dan Parsons? Man, you need to check out Dan Parsons. I guess he, can, he doesn't qualify for this podcast, but great music. <laughs> Um, but yeah, lots of really amazing female musicians as well in Australia. I think I've heard more female lead guitar players in Australia than over here. I don't know why, but 
Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not paying attention. I don't know in the U.S. But anyway, um, yeah. So I don't know why, but I guess because um, the immigration patterns are similar to the states, minus I guess the African influence. But you know, a lot of Scots Irish immigrants to Australia, and um, so having that similar background of um, fiddle tunes, and and then you know, it's a global world, so. Bluegrass. I mean, there's also that kind of cowboy culture in Australia, which I think would probably lend itself really well to bluegrass. And there's a lot of uh, festivals that kind of embrace, and, and the old-time music as well. So, I don't know. I guess it's just good music. Okay, Rachel, well, it is time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I give you a list of seven topics, and I'd like for you to choose one and tell me something interesting. This is the first international version of this segment, so we'll see how that goes. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, punk rock, politics, death, and poetry. Uh, Can you please tell me a thing? Okay, I'm going to pick musical equipment for 500. So uh, musical equipment has been on my mind because with this new 10-string symphony album, we've gone from a completely acoustic show playing just into mics to having a bunch of pedals and sounds and all this kind of stuff, which is really fun but also real pain um, sometimes because things always go wrong. But I'm kind of embracing the idea of really knowing how to use all of that gear. I feel really comfortable with sound systems with my normal acoustic setup and I know exactly, you know, what's going wrong when things sound bad and I can communicate with the sound person. But then I'm like, got all these pedals and I'm like, oh God, I don't know what's going on. But there's this pedal called the freeze pedal. Have you encountered this? No. Oh man, it's so awesome. So the freeze pedal is something taught to us by our amazing producer, Chris Drever. And basically, you are playing and you have this extended ability where if you hit the freeze at any time, whatever note you're playing while you hit the freeze just keeps playing, but you also keep playing. So I was using it in the show on that song, Others Must Knock, on the chorus. So it kind of was, I was able to create this bass line while I was playing just by hitting the bass note as I was like descending in the chords. And then the bass, the bass note rings out and I can keep playing the chord. Um, super fun. I will say that Christian and I went on tour in Australia in March. We brought all of our pedals and we brought converters, but we didn't bring the voltage converters. And we almost set a venue on fire because the voltage was streaming in way too much onto our pedals, smoking our pedals. Really? So beware of that. That's kind of a newbie mistake, though. It's a rookie mistake. I'm really glad that you spoke about that because I was going to say good catch. <laughs> I was going to say that when I saw you, you there was a couple of songs where it sounded like you had were playing a bass, mm. and I was going to ask how you did that. So that was all with that freeze pedal, or is there an octave pedal involved there as well? Also, yeah, there was many pedals involved. Um, there's an octave we use called a hog, so that should give you one octave and two octaves below, one and two octaves above. 
Um, the hog is the one that we fried in Australia. <laughs> uh, reverb, delay, and freeze. And Christian has a little loop that he was using not to play parts but to create sounds, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of on the edges of how badass a fiddle can be, playing through a hog and frying it because that's really cool. Anyway, well, uh, it's very interesting. You have a really great live show. I'm glad that you explained that for us. So, yeah, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat to me on Women Who Rock. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad that you've enjoyed your time in Nashville. Make sure you come back. There's more to see. Everybody has to go For me this life is all I got And the only one that I know Well I don't want to worry Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios Of 2SER 107.3 I can't help it, I'm afraid to die